Today's podcast is brought to you by Horizons Resolve Adaptive Asset Allocation ETF, which trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol HRAA and is sub-advised by Resolve Asset Management. HRAA is an alternative fund whose investment objective is to seek long-term capital appreciation by investing directly or indirectly in major global asset classes, including, but not limited to, equity indices, fixed income indices, interest rates, commodities, and currencies. HRAA gains exposure to these asset classes by investing in derivative instruments that may include future contracts and forward agreements and securities. HRAA will take long or short positions, using up to a maximum of three times leverage in asset classes such as equity indices and fixed income asset classes, commodities, currencies, volatility indices, and other alternative asset classes. HRAA could provide balance to your portfolio by harnessing three unique investment styles. The first is an actively managed global risk parity portfolio to provide maximally diversified global exposure in optimal risk balance. The second is a proprietary systematic global macro process that attempts to profit from short-term market moves, going both long and short on more than 50 global markets. Finally, HRAA uses a dynamic tail protection overlay that attempts to profit from large moves in volatility markets. To learn more about this, please visit www.horizonsetfs.com HRAA to read about the ETF's investment objectives and important disclaimers about the risks associated with an investment in the ETF. Hello and welcome to Gestalt University, hosted by Adam Butler, Mike Philbrick, and Rodrigo Gordillo of Resolve Asset Management Global. This podcast will dig deep to uncover investment truths and life hacks you won't find in mainstream media, covering topics that appeal to left-brain robots, right-brain poets, and everything in between, all with the goal of helping you reach excellence. Welcome to the journey. All right. Good afternoon, gentlemen. All right. All right. Cheers. Hey guys. Good afternoon. Cheers. 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 How's everybody All doing? Right. Today we have with us uh, Mark uh, Yanksley. Is that I'm pr- pronouncing that right, Mark? Very close, Mike. Okay, uh, give, yeah. give it to me better. It's Yaxley. It's old Yax. English means cuckoo over the hill. You can call me Yax. A lot of people. Do uh, I love it. Oh, Yaxley, man. and you've you've brought we brought a special guest along with you. Um, Again, because you're you're a late addition, I've forgotten your name. Philip Zappacosta. Right, yeah. Thanks for having me. So both easy names. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Zappacosta. That's a good handle. Yeah, his uncle was a a famous entertainer. Yeah, yeah. Canadian singer, Juno Award winner. Right. Wow. Yeah. Look. Don't ask me to use my pipes, though. (laughs) Yeah. And you guys are both with uh, Strategic Wealth Preservation, which is a uh, precious metals, um, custody, I guess, purchasing, selling, owning, storing, all the things relevant to precious metals, and in particular, the physical side of precious metals, ownership, custodialship, this the, the uniqueness of the bare asset, and all the kind of crazy and interesting things that come along that side of that very unique asset class. Do I have that about right? That's about right. Yeah, we, we basically touch on everything that is physical precious metal. So if you're looking to acquire metal, if you're looking to store metal, or you're just looking to move it, you know, around the world from Singapore to Grand Cayman, we do all of that. So pretty much anything that touches physical metal, we're involved with. 
You know, it was interesting too, as I was watching, you know, we've got that little introduction video and talks about sort of the FOMO markets and how uh, sometimes, you know, the, the, the market that you may like the most or be most familiar with isn't always the market that does the best. And I think, um, you know, having you guys on today to talk about just precious metals in general as a an asset class that should be considered within portfolios. Um, and, you know, Ray Dalio says anyone who doesn't own some amount of precious metals either doesn't understand economics or history. So, you know, you've got some pretty large investors who are quite vocal about having some allocation to this large and unique asset class. So we'll dig into that a little bit more. But really, I was I was listening to that, just thinking of um, having you guys on uh, or that you're coming on and how interesting that was just thinking about, you know, 2003 to 2011, which were a, you know, sort of a huge sort of bull cycle for the, 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 the precious metals area. Mm-hmm. And I can remember people being so excited about gold and so excited about all the equities that went along with that, right? And then, you know, from 2011 to today, we've had kind of a cooling off of that. And if you look at stocks relative to gold, if you do any of those ratio charts or things like that, I don't know if you guys are going to show us some charts today, so you're certainly able to do that. Um, but you can see that 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 transition of FOMO that has gone on over the last decade with people getting very excited about precious metals, you know, precious metals weathered the 2008 storm very well. You know, people don't remember that gold bottomed in October and was like 35 or 40% higher by March when, you know, traditional markets didn't bottom in October. They, they bottomed in March the following year at lower levels and how that diversity of that asset class uh, really adds value to overall portfolios. And I, I fear at the moment, that we're we're sort of tilted on that other side of the spectrum, meaning you know largely investors are driven by a little bit of recency bias that feeds a little bit of overconfidence bias, and they've either reduced their gold positions or precious metals positions, maybe even eliminated them in some cases, and or just haven't rebalanced back to a target reasonable weight if they're doing strategic, or if they're doing some sort of tactical, are they even considering it as a, as an asset class just generally? So. Lots to dig in there with you guys, but um, that's sort of my initial foray as we begin the discussion, just to sort of frame yeah. the conversation. I throw it back to you guys for some more. No, I'm yeah, I'm just thoughts. actually would love to before you give us your thoughts on that because I think you guys are qualified to discuss all things uh, precious metals. Why don't you give us a bit of your background? Uh, I know Phil, you're just purely in entertainment. Um, uh, you, <laughs> you and your family travel with the circus. Now, why don't you guys give us your background? You know what you're focusing on today in your area, and then let's let's uh, give you uh, hear your thoughts on that space. Sure, I'll I'll start it up for us. Uh, so my background is is really finance. You know, out of school, and then that led me uh, kind of in an indirect path. I ended up at Kitco Precious Metals back in 2006, and I've been working with gold and silver every day of my life, even on the weekends. It seems uh, since 2006, I uh, have touched many different areas of the industry, you know, from product development to the marketing and sales side. Uh, and now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a founding partner in strategic wealth preservation in the Cayman Islands. So it led me all the way from home in Montreal down to Cayman and across the world along the way. Uh, so my focuses at this point are, are trying to, you know, grow our business, strategic wealth preservation uh, strategically to try to diversify and add, uh, you know, uh, 
new products and services to a business that's really, you know, timeless. You know, it's gold and silver. We don't reinvent ourselves very often. You know, it's uh, it's one of those businesses that's been going so long that there's not a whole lot that's new and exciting. But we try we we try to find those opportunities and those value add services for our clients. So that's really my focus these days. Yeah. So my background's in finance as well. I studied in university, and then I was involved in some family businesses uh, in Canada that were involved in some uh, re- real estate investment as well as uh, retail uh, luxury clothing. Uh, so that's where I had started. And uh, just over a year ago, um, when I was actually looking for you know, a special location to actually be a client and purchase some precious metals, I, I come across uh, SWB Cayman. And one of our colleagues actually is an acquaintance of mine. And um, I really was attracted to them being domiciled in the Cayman Islands and having that uh, privacy component. Uh, so that was what attracted me initially. And then with such a great team, I got involved and now I've been involved for just over a year. So Phil is one of our, our sales guys. Um, so he's dealing with clients and that's why I thought it'd be cool to have him on today with you guys is that he speaks to clients about buying and selling gold, moving gold around the world. So he can kind of answer some of the, you know, kind of like, what's the word on the street? What are people thinking? Why are they buying? That's, you know, Phil has those conversations every day. So I thought it'd be interesting to have him on. Well, let's do that then. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what is the feeling right now? I know, I know we're, you know, Toronto and Canada is unique. Uh, there seems to always be a, a, a gold tilt in most people's minds there. So it's an easier conversation generally. But uh, how are people thinking about that privacy and that silver and gold position for their like actual physical exposure to that? What's, what's, yeah. What are you seeing the zeitgeist? Yeah, Rodrigo, I think what's been happening lately is that um, people are concerned about financial institutions and about bank bail-ins. Um, that's something that's definitely a prevalent concern in the U.S. and with our Canadian clients. Um, so what we've seen is, you know, there was for a long time there was a lot of over-the-counter business in precious metals, where clients could go to a bank and physically buy metals. Um, that business has dwindled a lot, and people are looking for an offshore option namely because they want to have some of their wealth outside of the mainstream financial financial system because they're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about the current state of that system. So that's what we found. Is that are, are they concerned about confiscation as well in that circumstance? Uh, that That is definitely a concern that gets raised. I mean, there's reference to when that happened in the United States in the past. Um, that gets um, addressed quite often. I think it's it's a pretty remote chance that that's going to happen. But nonetheless, you know, you can never be too prepared. So I think people do have that in their minds. And that's why they're looking for a jurisdiction that is uh, more favorable to owning physical metals. Yeah, the property rights around the physical metals and and the and the reporting requirements. I, you know, I understand that holding holding it in Cayman, as an example, is a very interesting way to sort of be outside of the. I'll call it more um, OECD type of net with respect to any other kind of currency. But yeah. so, so, so someone, someone calls in and um, uh, so you've, you've seen a pickup in, in the purchases of physical metals 
uh, over the last year, call it, with the the significant amount of uh, money printing, call it, from central banks around the world? Have, have you seen that sort of surge in interest? Yeah. It's, what's interesting, Mike, is, you know, you, you, you kind of nailed it earlier, is that gold is one of the asset classes that people, first of all, I have found tend to either not have any knowledge about, you know, any real knowledge about, which is a big challenge, obviously. If people don't understand something, they tend not to invest in it. Uh, but it's also one of the asset classes that, you know, in the modern world, people tend to hate on a little bit. You know, gold tends to get a wrap, especially when the when the crypto, when the digital assets showed up. They needed they needed someone to compete with, and they needed to try to create credibility. So they they started picking at gold right away. Um, but what's interesting is that working in the industry is that we see that there's still a lot of underlying demand for physical precious metals. Not only physical, obviously there's a paper market that's massive, uh, but uh, really that there is still strong demand for physical metals. And that has been really prominent since COVID became a thing. You know, that that was like an overnight, you know, event. You know, looking back at like February 2020, it's like things just ramped up 300, 400% in terms of physical demand in the Starting North Starting February. Starting as early as oh, February. Before like, the lockdowns and all that. That's when we, we started. knew well, it was a thing. Gold bugs are pretty paranoid investors, right? And they do <laughs> they do tend to, I mean, these are people that are self-directed, so they manage their own Said money. with love. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can say it. I'm one of them, so I can, <laughs> I can call us whatever I like. But, you know, these are people that do a lot. They do read a lot. You know, they they do, they are contrarian. So they're, they're always analyzing. They're always trying to pick apart the news. They're trying to make sense of what's happening in the world. Uh, right or wrong, but uh, as early as February, we started to see an uptick, and then March, April, May, June, all summer 2020 was it was you know the year of the decade for precious metal dealers in terms of demand, and it's only down about 10 or 20 percent uh, from the volumes we saw last year. So it's still a very strong underlying market, but it's quiet because people look at the ETFs, so like ah oh, net outflows in the ETFs, you know everybody's looking other ways, are looking at the equities markets. And like you said, it's 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 easy to forget about gold. But the thing is, it's always there. It's always present. And it's really doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It just happens that right now is not one of those times that gold performs particularly well because equities are performing very well or have performed very well. Right. And then, so I've got, I've got, lo- I've got lots of questions, actually. Um, so I'm just trying to figure what's sort of the next. So, so we've got a certain type of investor who is thinking of precious metals. You've seen an uptick in, in that. Um, when, when, when someone initially comes to you, let, let's kind of start at the beginning or the evolution of a, of a gold. I don't want to say bug. I don't like the fact that gold sort of polarizes folks. It's, it's an asset. It trades. It's been around for 5,000 years. It's 10 trillion in AUM, you know, silver's a trillion, you got palladium, you got got industrial complexes that underlie the demand for these items. So I think it trivializes things when you sort of say a gold bug. I don't like that. Um, But, you know, those who are enthusiastic about owning some physical gold in their portfolios, how do they travel the the sort of um, dimensions of acceptance? Like, where do they start? Do they start small? What's their mind process and thought? How large do they usually get as their portfolio? What's your experience been with with folks getting into the physical side, sort of as as a as a a different use case or a different case than you know buying it as an ETF and whatnot? Yeah, it's that's a good question. Maybe Phil, you you probably have your own version. I'll give my short version answer to that. I think Ray Dalio re- reference history 
if you do if you do if you do study history uh, you you will understand the significance of gold not only for private investors but also central banks how important it is on a world political stage uh, it's really a large bargaining chip when it when when things get real in the world and that's why central banks continue to accumulate you know massive positions of gold you know um, so I think if you understand if you're a student of history uh, as a lot of investors are um, they will have an appreciation for gold to begin with. It's probably being introduced to them at some point in their life as well. There's probably someone around them. I hear this a lot. You know, we did some pretty deep dives into client behavior when I was with Kiko, and it, it was like stories like my grandfather had a coin collection. My, you know, someone in my family introduced me to this, or you know, Rodrigo, you could probably appreciate this. Someone in their family went through hyperinflation. You know, my wife's German. On her side of the family, they talk about hyperinflation. They still remember. You know that things were tough back then, and and those those lessons are passed down within families. So it may not be kind of the mass uh, uh, retail investor that's familiar with these stories, but there is a segment of the population that this is very real to them, and that's kind of the starting point often for for gold and silver investors. And once they that message has been ingrained in them, and they've they've held physical metal in their hands like you guys have probably at the vault not too long yeah, ago. We should talk about that. Yeah. I think it becomes real and, and it and it's like the gold bugs. And I hate to use the term too, because it demeans these very intelligent, you know, you know, very wealthy people in some cases. But once they become loyal to the asset class, it's something that they tend to hold on to their whole lives. Whether it's performing well or not, it's it's a diversifier that they love having in their portfolio. They sleep well at night knowing that they have it. So that's kind of my my take. Yeah. On so it. I I had a, an interesting discussion with an Argentine client who, you know, this guy hit it out of the ballpark, right? Like he was, uh, when I first met him 15 years ago, he had absolutely nothing. Farmer in Argentina and in the Salta region. And uh, slowly would get, hand me the kind of stock certificates, put this in, you know, I'm building up this company, see how it goes. Fast forward 15 years, the guy's worth multi-million dollars, right? And so he's ready to retire, ready to do something with it. And I'm trying to tell them, you know, we, we, we're going to do this with your portfolio, maximally diversified, global asset classes, futures contracts. Like we're going to do as much diversification as we possibly can. And he's like, that's great. I love that. But I, I actually want something that I can touch. I want something physical. Can we let, and like, can we buy some real estate or something? Like, I just want to be able, I want to be able to seize my wealth, right? It's a classic. When you think about like developing nations, that's what you see. My parents would rather have that than you know most of their wealth is in real estate rather than than in um, in liquid assets because of what they experienced in hyperinflation and so on. And so I said to him, "Do you? I mean, do you just mean real estate? What about like physical gold?" And I was talking about the gold vault. He's like, "Yes, can I see the gold? Can I touch it? I definitely want a big portion of my money in something like that." It's just there's something about the tact, knowing that it's a physical thing and that nobody can take it away from you and from a, from, from a zeros and ones perspective, right? Which is like a chalk, chalk one up for uh, real assets and gold versus crypto in a way. Yeah. Like I wasn't going to yeah. convince this guy but to buy some crypto for you know, wealth preservation and the ability to do anything, especially somebody like him. Yeah, and, and I think you, you have to make an important distinction between wealth creation or, or, or growth of your, your, your wealth versus wealth preservation. Typically, people that are purchasing from SWP are, so, are wealthy enough that, that that part of their portfolio is, is not designed to create wealth. It's designed to protect wealth. So even though they know that they can make more money somewhere else and they have the rest of their portfolio to do that with, 
like your client, he's, he's already, already a multimillionaire. He's like, well, I just want something that's going to let me sleep at night, you know, and, and, and that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's not always about trying to earn, you know, a few more points. Um, but it's an interesting thing to think about. <laughs> when I went into the vault, and I, you know, I, I hopefully in the future we'll do a podcast inside the vault yeah. or maybe outside of it with a just for people to see how crazy it is in there. Uh, by crazy, I mean it is in perfect working order and in, and very organized. But you're you're sitting there and you feel like like McDuck, where you're looking at these big gold bar and silver bars that look like they're wrapped like, like just chocolate wrapped around in in foil. Like it seems like it, why do we care so much about this thing? Um, and so we started having conversations. Why is it that the world, generally speaking, seems to have a, a large appreciation for these these precious metals? And I've heard a few arguments around it, but what is the argument? Why did the world at large tend to adopt these two metals in particular over anything else? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Rodrigo, like, it, really, it's it's about generational wealth transfer, and it is about that physical uh, tangibleness of the metal. So, gold is is an extremely durable metal, and it does not it, it does not lose its shape, or it does not um, it corrode, right? So, it's something that can withstand the test of time, and I think that's what has attracted investors to gold over generations, and it's been used for thousands of years so it's considered really true money and that's why sovereign nations are acquiring it yeah i mean it, it, as much as you know especially when you get into the conspiracy theorists you know you know people like to trash the central banks but i often remind them i said look these guys aren't stupid you know you can say what you want about the flow of money and and and, and some of the things that that central banks are doing but when it comes to the people that they employ and the thinkers that they employ, these people are, are, are students of history. They're, they're very educated and there's a reason why they acquire gold. And, uh, and, and so you have to, you have to give them some sort of credit, even though they might not always well, you know, take the, the, the actions that we deem would be correct at the time. But um, yeah, I think historically, like Mike talked about earlier, 5,000 years, it's so ingrained in our society and our cultures. It's, it's when you are the best athlete in the world at something, you win a solid gold medal. Like it's so, it's just a simple example, but it's so ingrained in our day-to-day -day lives. If you start paying attention, how often gold is mentioned or platinum or, or, or silver, it's, sure. we associate it to so many different things in our lives. And that's why when people say gold is dead, I'm like, you have no clue. Like, you know, that's just like a well, silly statement. Some of the, um, the, the origins too is, that I've heard when, in, with regard to mass adoption globally is that gold does disperse around the planet in, in relatively equal ways, in ways that other metals and other materials aren't necessarily uh, found in every geographic place, right? So you already start with this thing that is bright, it's shiny, it doesn't... Uh, well, it's culturally corrode. pervasive. It's, 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 it's culturally, culturally pervasive. And it has right. certain qualities and aesthetics that human beings like. You can you can uh, transport it without it being yeah. an issue. Like this is, it just happened to be the thing that everybody seemed to be able to trade when trade first started, right? So that's another like 
legacy thing that you can it's part of our human human human's race dna you know, from is. the incas to the aztecs like the europeans always been a part of it well it's, it's malleable it's it's easily shaped and formed from an early stage it it does not degrade or decompose in any way uh it's hard to come by so it has a good stock to flow model in that it cannot be you know sort of made from thin air like we make fiat currencies um and I think, you know, people have to remember this is not a binary decision, right? So, so you know, sort of the idea of that we've, that we've circled around a little bit of being a gold bug. Like, it's, don't, I don't think being a gold bug is particularly healthy either. I think that if you, one is thinking about the, um, the allocation of assets across a portfolio, what an investor wants to think about is what are the structural levers that play into the price action of this asset class when does it perform and under what economic circumstances of inflation and growth does it do well and when wonder what circumstances doesn't it do well it's the first question and then the second question is how often do i think i can make those calls if i think i can make those calls then i might impart some active positioning in my portfolio if I think, you know, I can't, then I won't. And that's where Ray Dalio ended up with his family trust in just setting some allocations longer term across risk parity, of which gold is one of them. Uh, but also you can be active about that. And if you think about that, you know, what what's striking to me is if we go back through time and we think about the 1930s, the 1970s, those were times where traditional assets struggled mightily. But what did well? What did well in periods of time where you have weird inflation and deflation dynamics? What structurally does well is the precious metal sector. And through the 70s, when stocks and bonds struggled in real returns to have negative real returns over sort of a 10 to 12 year period, well, gold produced a 24% compound real rate of return. The problem is we're at such a dangerous point where everyone has disregarded every other asset possible in their portfolio except for U.S. stocks and bonds. I think that's the, that's probably, you know, on mass where we are. If you look at charts of where the U.S. investor is with respect to allocations to U.S. equities, it's at all-time highs. Mm-hmm. Who's going to come in and buy the stocks from here? Like over the next 10 years, where are the allocations going to come to, come from to drive these equity prices that much higher? And I'm not, maybe they'll come. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Something will happen. Maybe we'll just print that much more money. But it just seems strange that when we get these massive spikes in valuation and sort of uh, concentration in the markets and the concentration in the type of asset class, you know, even U.S. stocks versus any other stock market in the world is is at extremes. You know, these are the times where you've got to start thinking about diversifying your portfolio to other areas of the market. Now, we've talked a lot about gold. I do want to expand that horizon a little bit into the other precious metals and maybe give us some insight to things like platinum, palladium, silver, and, you know, are those markets largely driven by the dynamics of store of value or are they driven by more dynamics of economic use cases where, you know, we have production 
CapEx for production versus the production of the metal versus an industrial demand. So maybe you can like, let's broaden the scope away from gold a little bit and let's talk about these other precious metals and give us some insight into, are they driven by economic fundamentals to some degree? Or are they more driven by, you know, sort of uh, investor demand? Yeah, we tend to use gold to kind of, when we talk about the precious metals family, we tend to use gold. We overuse gold, you know, so it's, it's a good question, Mike, because we tend to lump them all together and expect people to kind of understand that we're actually speaking about a family of precious metals, including rhodium. Right. The often forgotten rhodium. Isn't that the heaviest one too? Is that the most dense one? It's, I believe it's the most dense. It's, it's, it's also the most valuable of, right. of the precious Wait, metals. Wait, rhodium family. is the most dense? Or, I'm, I'm, of the, I don't know. I, I don't know. I actually don't know. I'm actually. I, that's a good question. Oh, Maybe someone oh, else. Did you say you don't know? It's, it's, it's the most dense. The periodic table. I, I was terrible at times. Find out. I'll, I'll, I'll Google it. <laughs> I, was, I was in drama class back in high school, actually. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, people don't talk about rhodium, but you know, it's, it's been a phenomenal run. If you if you were willing to speculate on rhodium, uh, you know, ten years ago, your returns would be you know, have been incredible. Um, but it's, it's, those are very small market metals. So first, first is the disclaimer, very small market metals, silver being excluded. But if you're going to get into platinum, platinum, rhodium, you need to be ready for a fairly wild ride. You know, rhodium at one point traded for over $10,000 an ounce, retracted to $900 an ounce. I think it was within a wow. year or two, uh, after the last bull, bull run in, in, after the last financial crisis, when it ended in 2011, 2012, rhodium took a, a huge dive. So uh, for anybody who's who's looking at those those platinum group metals, platinum, palladium, rhodium, you have to be ready for some volatility. Um, yeah, I mean, it, those are industrial metals. So to answer your question, Mike, the the supply and demand side of that is is driven in in large part. Uh, you might grabbing that. Yeah, yeah, I think we have a visitor at the at the, the door. <laughs> Room uh, service. No, I think we might have two more colleagues that are coming back from there their missions but uh on the supply and demand side yeah a lot of industrial use the platinum group metals driven primarily by the auto industry so it's their usage is primarily in the catalytic converter space so all um you know combustible engine vehicles that are being produced in countries that have regulations about emissions output uh that that's basically where the industrial demand comes from for those three metals uh but there are still you know, investors who speculate on the price and who do use it, I wouldn't say as wealth preservation, but more of a speculative investment in the precious metal space. Silver is really somewhere in between. It does have over a hundred different industrial applications. It's a really interesting metal. It has antibacterial properties. So you'll see it a lot in, in medical applications. You'll see it in, yeah. You'll see it in uh, Lululemon pants because it, it's antibacterial. So it cuts down the, the smell that would come from your outfit after your workout and your yoga class. Um, but it also, obviously, you know, silver is something that it's very popular amongst American investors, not so much in Europe because it's, it's, there are, I think, uh, between 15 to 22% VAT applicable to silver in Europe and in Asia as well. You have some countries that apply VAT to it, but in North America, it's a very popular, uh, investment choice still with, uh, with precious metal enthusiasts. So it's really somewhere in between. And that's why silver tends to follow gold. When you see, Price action for gold, silver tends to follow it either, but is more volatile to the upside and the downside. Whereas platinum, palladium, rhodium, they really operate in their own markets 
you know, you, you will see a little bit of a, on the speculative side, you'll see a little bit of a pattern following gold, but they have their own, their own market conditions that really determine those prices. And how have you seen, so we've got uh, the catalytic converter use case, we've got automobiles, but we are moving to more and more EV structured type um, uh, vehicles and a battery based uh, um, transportation uh, underlying. So what's the role for some of these precious metals in, in sort of the battery side of things, if that's going to be a, a transition that we encounter and I, I know you're not supposed to ask two questions, but anyway. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the EV side of things. But I, I think it's worth um, emphasizing the fact that, you know, when you have a different marketplace, a different sort of set of economic circumstances, you get a diversity in the underlying asset class, right? So the platinum palladium area is going to have different sets of supply and demand dynamics that are different for the price structurally. And that's what's so advantageous for a portfolio is to put together a number of these very different demand supply characteristics so that you have different characteristics coming into the portfolio. Now, on that side of things, on the sort of the more, uh, those a little bit more esoteric precious metals, um, how has the CapEx been? Is it similar to sort of the more uh, um, commonplace uh, metals like copper and nickel, where we're seeing sort of uh, uranium, we're seeing pretty chronic underinvestment and under undercapitalization and under investment in capex for the mining and reproduction of these. Is that pervasive across that area? So, are we seeing a contraction in the amount of supply that's actually going to be produced, or is that pretty robust in those markets? You know, neither of us are, are experts in the mining space. Our our scope of expertise, you know, begins and ends really around the physical retail investment market. Gotcha. But I the last the latest numbers that I've seen on the uh, supply side for platinum palladium, I uh, haven't seen rhodium numbers. Or you know, that's becomes quite specialized. Actually, uh, is fairly stable um, from what I've seen, uh, because you know, a lot of that output is from the mines is going in again into the auto industry. And although the auto industry has struggled, you know, obviously with um, the, you know, COVID has been a factor in terms of, of, of the demand for new automobiles worldwide, you still have emerging markets like China and India where people are starting to buy their first ever combustible engine vehicles. And so this ties into the EV, Mike, and it's a really good question because I hear that all the time. People are like, well, why would I buy palladium? when I know that electric vehicles are going to take over, you know, the market and they're not wrong, but they have to, re- they're thinking in a, of it from a, a North American perspective, often, or a European first world developed nation perspective right. where they where in their local market. Yeah. They're seeing electric cars. They're seeing Tesla's driving around China and India are not there. You know, that, that is not where those markets, those markets, people are just buying their first homes. They're buying their first vehicles and those vehicles are not electronic. And in fact, the growth rate as of like two years ago for uh, traditional combustion engines versus electronic, uh, sorry, um, uh, EV. EV engines, the, the, the traditional engines was far outpacing the EV engine growth because of those emerging markets. So the, the, the reality is, yes, they will take over one day because they are better for the environment. And we all know that and we'll probably all drive one in our, our own one in our, our lifetime. 
but that's still 20, 30, 40 years out in some markets, potentially. Um, and that ties into the demand side uh, for platinum palladium and the funding side uh, for mining. And, and so the, the, the output is still pretty steady. And so when it comes to the physical ownership of those other metals, do you, do you guys play heavily in that space or not? Well, I think that it's important to diversify in a precious metals portfolio. So they would be in an investor's holdings, but at a, in a lower percentage. And, and silver is actually something we're kind of, we haven't talked about too much, but that is what, we, what everyone really believes is the big trade. It's the most undervalued at the moment of all the precious metals. And the industrial use case for it is extensive, not only in electric vehicles, but also in solar panels. And what we're seeing, you know, such a uh, spike in energy prices, especially in Europe, there's going to be more and more of a demand for, for greener energy to stabilize, you know, economies and not be dependent on uh, other countries. And basically, there's a lot of geopolitical factors that are weighing in to make people have to, or to make countries have to move towards greener energy. So I th- silver is such an important input. And a lot of these companies, they are going to require it regardless of what the price is. So it's important to acquire silver now. Well, you can still get your hands on it as a retail investor, because soon it's going to be the industrial demand and the industrial users that are going to be acquiring it all. Right. Right. And so, 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 the, so there's, the, there's got to be, sorry, Mike, do you have a follow up question? Well, just, I just, the, the, just to put it in context, the market cap, I think for silver is about 1.4 trillion. And then I think gold's around 10 trillion and not sure platinum palladium, are, I think are much smaller. They are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just to your point, these are, these are not large asset classes. Like they, even you talk about silver, um, but that that's it's a one point four trillion dollar asset class. That that's not that's very small mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. So if there is this demand surge, it doesn't take much to force the price to go, you know, a lot higher potentially. I imagine that the there's got to be a difference in terms of uh, infrastructure for holding industrial quality precious metals for manufacturing and retail quality infrastructure for you know those blocks with the serial numbers where you can trade it from retail investor to retail investor or bank to bank or you know uh, central bank to, to another central bank how does what maybe give us some insight into that the network that i that you guys have or like that anybody has that needs to trade in this space right how do you how does that ecosystem work yeah no it's uh it's a really good question and and so we're at the very end of the spectrum basically um so obviously, starting with the mining, the mining output from the mine, that metal will, or sorry, I should say that uh, kind of crude products or uh, dore, like you'll hear the term dore bars. So that's a product that can be semi, is like semi-refined. That product will be shipped to a refinery where they will, they will refine it to whatever standard is required. So whether that be the, the investment bullion products that are going to be produced, whether it be you know, 90% silver that's required for an industrial application or, or even a mix. Oftentimes you'll have a mix of precious metals for different industrial applications. So that happens at the refinery level. Now that dory, that same dory that's coming from the mines could either go to a refinery that's producing specifically for industrial applications, or it could go to a mint like the Royal Canadian Mint in Ottawa, like the U.S. Mint in the United States. There's several 
locations that the U.S. main operates. And from there, the mints and refineries have their, distri- their, their approved distributors. So there's probably in the United States, I don't know the exact number of approved distributors, but there are really four or five large players that people like SWP or other brokers, dealers would be able to purchase from. Those distributors are really the market makers um, you know, for, for, the, for, for the retailers like us. So we'll have a trading line with these distributors if we can't get a direct line to the mint or refineries. In some cases, we can get a direct line to a mint or refinery, but in most cases, we're buying from these distributors. So yeah, it comes down, you know, then it boils down to the traders that are, you know, and it's the old school trade desk uh, calling up and buying ounces and then selling them on to the retail investor at a small premium, a small spread. Okay, so, so can, can we, you can illuminate me, uh, illuminate us on the difference in premiums from being able to buy from the manufacturer versus the mint versus a uh, third-party broker. Like, what type of spread are these guys taking along the way? Well, just if I can add to that, um, so there's a spread, but there's the spread on the different products, right? So you've got the size of the bar that you have to think about because you got to think about, you know, if I own one big bar, how do I, I can't sell half a bar. And so how do, how do you think through that whole, I think Rodrigo's on a, on a great question. And I'm just thinking as a physical owner of this physical asset, how do you think through that whole sort of decision dynamic? Yeah, I think let's kind of just look at it uh, broad strokes first. So Mm -hmm. really you want to look at the total premium on a product. So you're looking at about a 4% premium on most gold products. It gets lower as you get into larger products, like the one kilo bars, you're getting closer to a 2.6% premium. So that's one thing as an investor you want to look at, you know, you know, buying in larger uh, increments so that you can save on the premiums. And when you get into to silver, you're looking at sort of 8 to 12% premiums, and the same thing applies. So as an investor, like with any investment, you want to look at, you know, not only what you're getting in for, but what, how, you, how you're going to get out of your investment. So when you're, you want to know when you're in the money. So we always advise our clients to look at the total spread. And we're one of the few companies that's actually transparent about that. So mm. if you go to our website, you can click any of our products and look at the live uh, purchase price as well as the live buyback price. So you can get an idea of the total spread and compare across products this way. Yeah. And I think, you know, Phil's done a good job and Mike really, that's where the role of the relationship comes into play. It's like you guys are graded and advising your clients on how to allocate their assets and creating a, a, a portfolio. That's where the professional guidance comes in. And that's why we earn our living by doing this is because clients need to understand those small, uh, you know, uh, yeah, they, the they need these questions answered. These nuances, yeah, yeah, the nuances. They need the questions answered, and and those are those are the basic kind of questions we field all day long. Is what product? What are the premiums? What's the best buy for me? What should I invest in? Those are the, that's those are the questions we're answering all day long. Right, and you and you almost have to think a little bit about if I were to sell at some point, right? So I, I'm sitting on silver and I've got a 10x, mm-hmm. and I have one bar. Mm-hmm. Well, that, <laughs> that's that's tough, and it, it's interesting. It's an interesting challenge with a bearer asset, right? It, it's a it, so something that if you're not used to dealing in these assets, that's why you're going to have a conversation with Phil, and Phil's going to say, "Well, you know, maybe not one big bar. Let's let's get a, you know, let's get a, a core, and then let's do some satellites of some of the smaller 
pieces. And I do want to get into some of what they're called and what they look like, because that is a, a great fun conversation too. the. Well, yeah, I, you know, the, I de- definitely want to, uh, in that kind of, let's do a transition here because you yeah. have the premiums across the bigger they, they are, the uh, less the spread, smaller, the higher the spread. But all, I've also always seen these smaller um, purchases that you can make, for example, from the Canadian Mint or the Kiwi. I don't know if it's called the Kiwi. I'm totally making this up. Australia. <laughs> and like the, the coins are beautiful, well-designed. I mean, is there a collector's premium to the smaller items as well that might actually create its own little market? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's definitely a collector's market. Um, we're really focusing on in, you know, making investments in the underlying Boolean value. So, um, you know, we really focus on curating a product mix on our website of the most liquid uh, products from the the most reputable mints. So we'll carry products that are on the London Boolean Market Association's good delivery list. So this is an association that ranks mints and refineries and ensures that, you know, they're up up to code, you know, have good practices and that you're, I guarantee as an investor that you're buying real bullion and it's, it's um, the percentage is what they are stamping on their product. So we're selling products that are three and four nines. So that's 99.9% pure or 99.99% pure. Yeah. And, and on the, what you're seeing for the mint, when you see those limited edition collectible coins, I, I don't want to advise against them because they make a great gift. And if, if you know what you're doing and you're, you're buying extremely limited edition um, or very rare coins, there is a good market for that. There are proven returns. Yeah, because you can take a picture of it and NFT it, right? Yeah, well, you can NFT it. Now that's a new thing. But, <laughs> but those are not on TV at 11 o'clock at night. Well, that's it. The ones on TV at 11 o'clock at night, I would recommend you stay away from. Oh, um, but if you okay. if you want to become a collector, speak to a numismatic numismatist numismatist in in Cayman. You've got Charlie, for example, down on the waterfront. Yeah, go into Charlie's shop. He's got some excellent rare coins. These are real, proper rare coins, high grade. It's like if you're buying hockey cards. I got some really good advice lately. I started investing in sports cards. They're like, don't buy. You've been, you've been talking to Brad. Yeah, I've been talking to Brad Watts. <laughs> <laughs> or from Brad Stars. Don't go and buy a Sydney He's my Crosby. neighbor now, by the way. He lives down the yeah. street. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah. So, you, you know, you could go and buy a Sidney Crosby rookie card. We're, you know, we're all Canadian backgrounds here. We know that. So you can go buy a Sidney Crosby rookie card. But if you get a 9 on 10, it's pretty common. It's not really a rare card. If you get the 10 on 10 graded Sidney Crosby card, the value jumps tremendously. So that's mm-hmm. a comparable with collector coins. If you're going to go into collector coins, go very high end. If you go common collectibles from the Royal Canadian Mint, it's a gift, in right. my opinion. Yeah. Right. So, so okay. So that makes sense to me. Um, let's go through. You have a particular service, right? So you go in. You can kind of curate a portfolio for somebody that really wants to have some some hard assets. Um, what's what type of investor should be thinking about that service given their level of AUM? Like what, what's the minimum that makes sense to start creating a, a portfolio of precious metals here versus going to the mint and just, you know, buying some coins for yourself? Yeah. Well, respecting the privacy of our clients. I mean, we have clients starting, you know, at smaller amounts and then we have clients with multi-million dollar investments. Um, but the mentality is the same and 
we talked a little bit about silver and how it's, you know, a smaller ticket price. You can start getting into investing in metals with a lower initial investment. So, I mean, if you're going to store with us, I would say you want to at least start with 10,000. It makes sense. Okay. That's, a, that's accessible. Ball, pay the storage fees and, and, you know, start stacking as they call it. I, I would add to that too is I think it, it goes back to the wealth preservation versus, versus wealth creation and how proactive you want to be in, in creating wealth. And, and really that for a lot of people that comes down to like what stage of your investment life are you in? You know, are you, are you still a young person who, who should be thinking more aggressively, perhaps taking a little bit more risk to, to create that nest egg. Whereas look, if you've got a few million dollars already and you're comfortable and you have real estate, you have equities, you've got blue, everything that you guys do for your clients. If you have that already, you're at a different cycle where you're like, I just need something that I don't ever have to worry about. That's what I want. And I know it sounds crazy, like, because we're, you know, in this day and age, we're always talking about returns and, and, and you guys nailed it. The FOMO is so bang on. When I watched that ad at the beginning, I'm like, whoever wrote that ad is a genius. I don't know which one of you it is, but it was very well done. Uh, no big deal. You no really big nailed deal. it. No, but it's great. Everyone is worried, but there are some people that aren't worried about that anymore because they already have what they need. And those people, you know, tend to yeah. be our, our clients a lot of the time. So what's interesting is I'll tell you a little story on this idea of uh, return of capital versus return on capital. When I was in Toronto, as everybody in the world now knows, I mean, Toronto real estate is has for the last 20 years has been ridiculous. Right. And every year from when it started, I've been saying it's going to crash tomorrow. And so I just I'm like, we're going to rent. We're going to rent and we're going to like we're going to wait till the crash. and Then we're going to buy. And of course, like I nearly got divorced three times throughout this, these 20 years. Luckily, I moved to Cayman, which is much of the same. But what what was interesting to see is that we were able to get two million dollar houses for for a, like a return on capital for these. Like the rental properties were less than one percent is what they were getting on. Like the rent was so cheap, and we're talking about like pristine areas of the city of Toronto. And I started noticing who the companies that were renting to us was. In fact, I got really close to one of them, and I asked him like, "Why is it that you guys are renting out for so low?" Like, who are your clients? And he's like, oh, well, our clients are Middle Eastern clients and Chinese clients. And they don't, like, my job is to get this rented out as fast as possible to somebody that's not going to ruin the house. Like, my clients do not care about getting a yield off of this. They care about making sure that they can get their money when they need it if they need to leave their country. It's, it's the return of capital rather than return on capital. And because they're like that, I don't care. I'll just rent it out at the cheapest price I can rent it out that's, that they're not going to complain about so I think this is the mentality of, of people out there in the world with some wealth that recognize there's risk to their, to their AUM, whether it's from a, you know, a, a nation that might be confiscating their assets in, in, in other respects, or whether it's just a history of Peru and hyperinflation or any other nation that has had to deal with that, right? And I think real estate is the new gold in many respects for, for the nouveau riche. But gold continues to be a similar thing. And as you said, having something physical is super important for most people out there, right? We just, in North America, have such trust in our financial institutions that it's less, less uh, pronounced. But I think that's about to change, honestly. 
Well, I also think that not many people know that over the last 20 years, gold has outperformed the S&P 500. So whilst one might say, and I get hate on this every time I show it, even emerging markets have outperformed. It's getting close now. Uh, they just haven't performed over the last 10 years. Yeah. What have you done for me lately, man? What's that? What have you done for me lately? Yeah. No, of course. But this is this is the whole problem with investing. I mean, investing, unfortunately, is driven by recency bias, which feeds overconfidence bias, which makes you put more money into things that have treated you the best lately, which will work for a period of time. And, but at the moment, I mean, you are getting to areas of valuation that are interesting and some extremes. I, I, who knows? Well, okay. And can we talk a little bit is, about? We talk about a little bit about recency, like the underperformance of gold in a, a highly inflationary year. Like I got my views on yeah. that, um, but I'd be curious to hear why. Why am I constantly fielding calls on why hasn't gold been in inflation wow. this year? So what is what's going on and what can we what can I'm, we I'm surprised to hear you're getting calls about gold <laughs> in an inflation year. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Well, because people are know, trying to figure out what the hedge they're we were. I was in your podcast, right, Mark? Yeah. Um, it, people are talking about inflation and yeah. they want to know what they can use. Yeah. And I have like part of the conversation is get you know, get get your commodity exposure, get some physical gold and then get some active commodity exposure through what we do. And the question is, why has not has gold been flatlined this year? Mm-hmm. Anybody have any thoughts? Until yesterday, thank God. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, w- what I've heard is that because um, I'm not an expert in inflation, and and I, I loved your comments, Rodrigo. I learned a lot from you the other day. Honestly, it was, it was really eye opening for me. But what I've heard is that in in traditional inflationary periods that inflation had found its way into the commodity sector much more than it has in this inflationary period. The inflation these days seems to be finding its way into the stock market, into the equities markets, more so than the commodity space. That's one theory that I've heard, and that that seems to be holding water thus far. But I think my expectation for precious metals' role in the world that we live in now, in this near term, say, 6 to 18 months that we're going to face, is that when rates, I, I've been cautioning, you know, precious metal investors, because everyone, precious metal investors, as, as loyal as they are, they're still impatient. They still want returns. They still think silver is underperforming. They think gold's underperforming. So I'm saying once the Fed starts to actually take action, now they're, you know, they're, they're, they're now moving up the, the tapering and rates, I think, inevitably have to go up. I can't see them letting inflation continue to run. I think that's when you're really going to see start to see gold and silver you know, do what it does best. Um, and that the uncertainty or the reaction that, that those actions take or, or, or have on the market will lead to gold and silver rising. But I, so I think right now a little bit of patience is required, but I agree that the performance has not been what people expect so far. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, think, I, I, I think in the podcast, we talked a little bit about the three levers of inflation, right? whether it's supply chain, you know, uh, supply side uh, issues that lead to inflation or whether it's demand side where you have, you know, labor costs going up and everybody kind of buying a bit of everything. So all commodities in certain sectors go up depending on what's being popular. And then there's monetary inflation, right? And that monetary inflation seems to be what gold is tied most to, which is not 
unexpected given that uh, the, 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 the role that gold has played in central bank policy for all these years, right? So I think real rates have a lot to do with um, the, the direction that gold takes. And mo- most of the inflation that we've seen in the last 12 months to 18 months have been supply chain issues with, uh, with the world. That's, 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 this is what we talk about. When we talk about inflation is that you need to have, we, you need to have three pistons in place, right? You need to have your certain commodities that can deal with supply side. You need to have your tips that may deal with labor side and you need to have your, your gold to deal with the monetary side of things, right? The, 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 you know, the U.S. dollar getting, going down for five straight years like we saw in the 2000s. And, and, and so inflation is a complex thing. It's not one thing. So the answer is there will be an inflation issue that correlates beautifully to gold. And not so beautifully to come on. You sound like Dalio in, in his video, How the Economic Machine Works. That's exactly right. what he, he took it from me. I, the, guy, the guy is a play, plagiarizes. Like, right? he, he's the worst. He's the worst. He just he, he reads my journal <laughs> and, and it all makes it public. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but that's, that's exactly right. And I think we're still in the process of seeing a deleveraging, right? We haven't seen that happen. And when that happens, I mean, they're trying to inflate away the debt in the U.S. And that's where you're going to see the price go through the roof when, when you know, it's going to take more U.S. dollars to buy an ounce of gold. And I think, think even though it's been trading sideways, it's important to understand that any smart money is quietly still stacking at these prices because they see it to be undervalued and they really want to have a certain percentage allocation in their, for their portfolio. So, I just kind of want to circle back to your question also, like how much does someone have to start investing? And I think it's important for as a little homework assignment is take a look at your investable assets. And if you read uh, Jim Rickard's book or or listen to any of his, his uh, videos or interviews, he always advocates that you have to have at least 10% of your investable assets in, in gold. And I think if you're at a stage where you're just getting into the game, you can substitute that with silver uh, because of its, you know, its smaller, it's lower nominal part. value. Yeah. yeah, it's lower nominal value exactly. So I think that's something to consider. And I think even though we've seen a pullback in silver, you know, I think there, as as the uh, U.S. dollar um, devalues further, that's where. You, that's where investors are going to start to really see the price per ounce go up with both, both those metals. That, and that's probably been a challenge recently is the U.S. dollars had some pretty significant strength and that's right. precious metals being denominated in that will, will create a bit of a headwind. I think yeah. you raise another great point on silver. It's, it's not just the smaller denomination, but on a vol adjusted basis, you need to hold less to do the same. So when you think about volatility adjusting your position size, if silver is two or three times more volatile, let's call it two, two, more, two times more volatile, both on the upside and the downside, than gold. It's liquid. It's got, you know, it's got a higher um, uh, uh, in and out cost. Uh, but at the same time, you need to hold less. So if you were going to hold 10% in gold, technically you could hold 5% in silver if it has double the volatility. 
Although the volatility is a little bit different, right? Silver's got a little bit more of a industrial use case. So they're, you know, I'm playing a little bit fast and loose with the math here, but you know, if- No, but in runaway inflation, equal, you're gonna be broadly correct, Mike. Correct. So, so you, can, you can say, well, I, you know, I could do a smaller position in silver, but you know, the, these things are all very interesting conversation points. Maybe, maybe walking through, someone says, okay, I have X percentage. I have a hundred grand, I have a million. Build me a portfolio. What do you guys do? Like they say, I don't know, I should hold some physical metals. Um, so we have a hypothetical client. Let's mm -hmm. make him me. I don't know, just so we can get away from any of this being advice. But, you know, whatever. What should I do, guys? I've got 10%. I'm long-term. I'm going in precious metals for 10% of my portfolio. And mm -hmm. that number is 100K. What, what, what would you do? What would you recommend that I think long and hard about as, as I as I'll allocate? I, okay. Aside from being long term, Mike, what what are your objectives with this hundred k? I mean, are you looking? Is it for wealth transfer to your children? Is it is it something that you want to see? You know, yeah. I suppose if I was doing physical, I would want. You know, I'm looking to have it in a in a jurisdiction where it's you know outside of the rules of any kind of uh, overreach by my current environment. I'm definitely thinking long-term, like from my perspective, I'd be thinking long-term just because the cost of getting in and out is rather large. So I'm, I'm going to want to, I'm thinking of this is 10% of my portfolio. It's real assets as a hedge. I'm buying and dying, right? So, <laughs> um, so, so when I die, I'm going to hand the keys over to my kids and, right. and, or whomever, and they're going to take it from there. I don't need the money, but you know, I'm just trying to get a, you know, what do I do with the money that's there? I'm buying to die. Sounds like one of our clients. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. <laughs> well, you already live in a great jurisdiction, Mike. That's yeah. You know, that you know, at the forefront of the conversation, especially with our clients, is really the jurisdiction that you live in, the jurisdiction that they're choosing when they store with us. Uh, we would not be the same company that we are if it wasn't for the Cayman Islands and all of the things that that entails. But in terms of the portfolio itself, I would say, based on that description, if I were giving you my two cents. I would say the core of your position should probably be in gold because long-term gold has outperformed silver and will likely to outperform silver except in bull markets when silver will outperform gold because it is more volatile. But because you don't know the exact exit point for your portfolio, knowing when that silver is going to be outperforming gold is, is impossible for either of us to really say. Um, I would encourage you to include some platinum group metals because they do perform differently. You know, if you look at palladium in the last like three years, it had really had a breakout where it went from like $1,200 an ounce all the way up to $3,000 an ounce. It has come back down, you know, supply chain issues, there's been all kinds of issues with the automobile industry and it, it's pulled that price back down. But I think there's, that's the play, you know, Phil alluded to silver being the trade. Silver is the trade, but the, the speculative position is really your, your, your platinum group metals. So I would say for you, crystal ball, 65 gold, 30% silver, 5% palladium would probably be my most standard kind of recommendation for it. How would I break that down from the standpoint of, so I'm, I'm a guy who's going to run a rebalance. I know that silver is going to run at 2X to gold at some point. I'm going to want to rebalance. So I'm going to want to take a few of my ounces of silver, sell them off and buy gold when silver's outperforming and gold's lagging. 
I'm going to do the same in rhodium. If my 5% becomes 15, I'm going to be like, okay, I need, I need to rebalance this a little bit across my portfolio. So how might I, how, how do I think about that? Do I just kind of sit down and scratch it out and say, okay, well, I, you know, my bulk is I can own half in one chunky piece so that I know I'm never going to sell that. And then I'll kind of have 50%, you know, another 25% chunk and then a bunch of 5% chunks. Is that, is that as simple as that? Or, um, well, look, there's kind of two approaches you can take to that. I think, you know, not, not to drive business away from purchasing precious metals, uh, purchasing physical, but you can, there is a place for ETFs if you're not opposed to some of the additional risks um, there. And if you find ETFs that are backed with physical, those, if you're trying to keep a balanced portfolio I, on a quarterly or annual basis, those are products that you can um, move around to keep your allocations in line with your overall strategy. But generally speaking, I mean, because of the friction of getting in and out of physical metals, it's advisable to sort of buy and hold, especially with your strategy where you're looking at uh, a generational wealth transfer. Yeah, but even even in that case, right, I'm not really talking about quarterly. I'm thinking, okay, over the last three years, holy shit, silver has crushed. You know, like you, you have some rhodium that goes up 20 times all of a sudden it's 20% of your portfolio and you're like, Oh, I didn't want quite that risk. So I've got to think about how I rebalance the bars actually. And I don't want to do it often. It might only be once every five years, but if I'm sitting on one chunky bar, I I, I can't do that necessarily. Or there's probably, a I guess, can, yeah. Can you do fractional sales in once I have it in your vault, do I have to sell my bars or can I do, can I get you guys to do fractional sales in my bars? Yeah, those are, those are good questions. I think, if, if you want to look at uh, trading in and out of your positions in physical, I mean, the benefit of having it right in the vault is it's just a phone call or, or a quick email away where you, the market's live. So when you feel you're, if you, you know, okay, the value's gone up on your rhodium and you want to get out of it. I mean, the critical thing is to have, um, this would be something we discuss up front so that you're not only in large bars. That's where we'd uh, make right. sure that you've purchased some yeah. smaller products as well so that you can sell in smaller increments to rebalance. And then that way, you know, you're not overselling and then you're out of balance in the other direction. Yeah. So that, that's what right. we'd recommend. And because it's, we, we've already verified uh, your products up front, there's no uh, lag. So you're not, you're going to be able to trade in a timely fashion that way when it's, when it's stored with us. And I think actually you, your your facility actually does store for some professional products, right? So, and I don't know how how much you can talk about that or how your your professional clients. We can talk about kind of broad strokes. Some broad of the strokes. types of clients that we we service for sure. Yeah, so so it's not just it's not just sort of an individual or a family office. There are actually some institutional products that are in the public domain that store their precious metals through SWP. I, get, I think that's a fair way to say it without yeah, divulging say, who uh, and what in, they are. In the public domain, you would find a client uh, like Loomis International that uses our services. So these are other vault operators that have a network of global storage that they offer to their clients. And Cayman is an attractive jurisdiction. It's not a traditional jurisdiction for gold storage. We, were, I w- we weren't the first on the map. We are the only ones on the map at this point, happy to say. Um, but, uh, companies like Loomis do use our facility as well. So we do have some commercial business. We also store, uh, for IRAs. So Americans can hold pressure right, in an IRA right. offshore. It is legal. 
Um, and we, we do have two American IRA administrators that, that offer the Cayman Islands location. I'm sure we'll have more in the future as they warm up to the idea. Uh, Cayman, you know, it's, it's funny. It has that kind of double, it's that double-edged sword. It's like, it's risky, but it's sexy. It's like somewhere they're not sure, you know, the compliance guys are always like attracted to it, but they're, they're also put off by it. So, um, yeah, we, you know, we have a growing commercial client base. Um, but again, you know, Cayman is never going to be New York city. It's not going to be London. Um, it doesn't have the geographical, you know, because it's so isolated, the cost to import product, for example, uh, is obviously something that we have to contend with and is a reality of, of being offshore. As in there is a, a tax to import gold or is it just a cost of shipping? Well, you guys know no taxes in Cayman. So there's there's no uh, no import. Well, there export. is uh, an import tax for yeah, no, other stuff. I just don't yeah, know where right. precious yeah, metals falls in. There are no import or export duties on uh, precious metals. And there is no tax on the storage of precious metals either. So th- right. in our industry in Cayman, there, there are absolutely no additional taxes or VATs. Uh, or tariffs that apply to the industry at this point in time. It's it's more that you got to fly this heavy chunk of metal uh, <laughs> from. You're you're not putting it on the slow boat to China anyway. You're you're going to no f- probably fly it over. It's got to be highly secure, and there's a cost of all of that that transport. I think that's what you're alluding to, especially with silver. I mean, silver for yeah. for the amount. You know, if you're talking about ounces of gold uh, relative value and weight. Uh, it's very cost effective to bring it to Cayman. Uh, silver is is obviously a bit bulkier uh, and, and costs us more money to bring it in. But yeah. because we do it in bulk from suppliers, we still we have to compete with U.S. domestic dealers. So we, we right. still have to do it cost effectively. Well, Mike was given the opportunity to to walk away with a large gold with, with a large silver bar. Okay. And they at, at your vault, like they put it outside and said, "If you can pick this up, you can walk with away with it. We're good. One hand." Yeah. Have you, look, show them every, show everybody your hands, Mike. Just show, show every. Look at those hands. I don't know. Like, don't, that's don't a, that's bad, an American Mike. football. Player. Here, this is this is this is a three liter bottle of pop. He, he was so. Cool. <laughs> 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 Just so you're all aware, this is oh, a three a liter bottle um, of of time. So the the last question I have actually is. You know, can I Scrooge McDuck this? Can I, like, is it part of the offering that I can go in and visit and snuggle with my gold bars if I want to? Or is this purely an a, uh, email-based transactional reality and I have to depend on auditors to tell me that my gold is actually in there? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. I think that, you know, the fact that we allow visitors to our vault and we have a, a special room where we actually um, will allow you to come in and, and actually see your holdings and go through them with a LVMA certified vault operator gives people a lot of peace of mind. And in the event you're not able to travel to Cayman, we actually have a virtual vault audit service for our clients as well. So they can have a similar experience remotely as well. So not quite Scrooge McDuck, Rodrigo. <laughs> that's, I, that's pretty close. I, would, I wouldn't recommend a nosedive into a, a pile of metal. It's... Um, <laughs> It, you it, just haven't it, tried it. You know how to do it, right? Yeah, it never works out the same as it does in cartoons, does it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's kind of all I had. Like I, I love that so space. The, it's the only, only other thing that that you know I I, I did want to ask is sort of the the paper market or the derivatives market versus the physical market. Is there any kind of points there you can share with us and and the listeners on? you know, why you should prefer physical over, you know, sort of a, some sort of derivative or commodity contract. Is there any kind of like uh, normal course 
explanation that that you that you provide that can can you know glean some insights? Well, I think you know Phil touched on it earlier. There is a place for ETFs. Um, there's a place for mining stocks. You know, the, I think your your options boil down to miners, an ETF, or or physical at the end of the day. And there's there's a, a place for all of those. And you know, my general answer, kind of keeping it broad strokes, is mining stocks are great if you pick the right company. If you do not have the time yourself to do that research or have an understanding of what you're looking at, then then you can lose. And I've seen a lot of people, and I've you know, junior miners especially can be fairly risky. Um, there are you know very well established miners out there that are almost blue chip at this point that that you can invest in the ETFs. There's a time and place for them. I use them personally. I'll use RBC's Precious Metals Fund, uh, or if it's not an ETF, it'll be a fund you know that that's professionally managed. Uh, generally, I'll use that when my time horizon is three to six months. Uh, I, I don't need to, to the friction and the additional costs that physical do present. Um, and then, you know, for the long term thinkers or those who are not looking to create wealth, physical tends to be the right answer. Or if they just like uh, the, the feeling that it brings them and the peace of mind that it brings them. Um, right. A derivative tra- a derivative contract has a counterparty risk. I mean, even though it's through an exchange and that's right. And yeah. there's lots of discussion on how much gold is there and how much paper is laid along alongside that or over the top of that. <laughs> I think there's, you know, gold stocks represent a beta risk, too. So you have market beta. So you, you have a, you have you're conflating a number of risks. there, trying to get as- access to the precious metal itself, whether that's silver or gold or palladium. So that that has its a very difficult set of multidimensionality that's hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for like gold beta, if that's what you want, and then I do think there's a continuum of the ETFs as well, right? Because you've got the ETFs that are futures based, so they're going to have some sort of role issue with with you know trying to whether you know they're they're having positive or negative role, they're going to have some role issue with tracking error. Then you've got this spot ETFs, and then you've got those ETFs that actually will deliver to you some amount if you have more than X. I think Sprott has a few of those different types of of ETFs. So there's kind of layers of ETFs too yeah. that you can that you can think about, and then you get into the the physical actually, you know, holding the asset. Um, doesn't take much to get a run on on silver. It's, on a side note, it's interesting the Reddit crowd that kind of got in the AMC and GameStop deal you know there's that side reddit that's like let's buy a whole bunch of physical silver silver squeeze yeah wall street yeah. silver silver squeeze yeah yeah didn't really a, amount to that much to be honest no uh, it didn't. in reality on, on yeah. our side no it's just like a it was a quick start stop i mean they moved they may have moved the needle a little bit for a few days very short came back time. down pretty quickly yeah yeah um, so it's, it's a harder market oh, no they need to get it they need to get it all <laughs> <laughs> It's one thing to move a, an individual equity, right? But it's yeah. really hard to move a market like that. Yeah. Yeah, especially with so many um, fairly savvy players in, in the market that are willing to hedge things in other ways that are close enough. But yeah. I can't believe you guys haven't asked us about Bitcoin. I'm, I'm, I'm well, you know what? I, I, I did want to get there. I did want to get there because I think there's lots to be learned. Thank you for bringing that up because we, we have been, it's on my mind because I think it's, the idea of a bear asset is something that a whole bunch of um, a whole new generation of folks are thinking about. And, you know, the whole, not your keys, not your coins 
mindset. There's a lot of challenges with that as well. But let's go back to the original bearer asset, right? The, the, the granddaddy, the goat of bearer assets, which is precious metals. And what can people learn from, from what you guys do in precious metals versus how they have to custody their own digital assets? Do you think Bitcoin is, you know, it's gone to a couple trillion dollars in digital assets. I mean, that's some of that would have gone to gold likely if it didn't exist as a as store of value. So what, what are your comments on all of that stuff? Yeah, I'll share a few. I mean, I tell everybody whenever I'm asked a question is first, I'm, I invest in Bitcoin and I'm, so it's not for me, it's not a black and white issue. Let's not make it one. Back in the day before Bitcoin was around, it was equities versus gold. Now it's gold versus Bitcoin. And the answer is still the same as you should have a well-diversified portfolio. And there's a place for both Bitcoin, which is like an option on the future. I think Raul Powell summed that up so beautifully. It's like owning an option on the future with your Bitcoin. And I look at gold as like an option on the past. It's very traditional. It's very well established. It's not going away tomorrow. Um, what I find most interesting recently is... is in the, in the market, we've seen like the last 30 to 60 days is, you know, Bitcoin's taking a little bit of a hit. It's been extremely volatile. And I, I don't think it's been able to establish itself as a store of wealth at this point. Um, and so if you're trying to draw a comparison between gold and Bitcoin, I think there's still a big struggle there. There's still a very big gap in that comparison, even though they do share some of the same attributes, you know, they're you know, the limited supply especially it's divisible and all these things. Octa flow and all that. I think it's still, it's still a very speculative investment at this point in time. Maybe that will change in the future. And I've looked at the day-to-day, you know, the, the day-to-day performance and, and the correlation is not there. So they're not acting or performing the same role at this point in time. So if you own both, I think you're in a good position personally. I think you're in a better position than trying to pick one over the other at this point in time. And let's be clear, um, gold has a volatility between 15 and 20 percent and Bitcoin is a volatility between 80 and 100 percent currently. Right. And that is a, that is uh, re- because of the amount of people adopting in liquidity in these asset classes. So just still a lot of differences and there's a lot more risk in one versus the other. We st- I don't think Bitcoin has figured out what it is, whether it's a store of value, whether it's a. Uh, asset class that is going to benefit from positive growth shocks and liquidity in the market or negative growth shock. Like we just don't know yet, but certainly as it stands today, gold continues to be much lower volatility and non-correlated to Bitcoin. Right? Yeah. I think like Bitcoin, it's a speculative investment and unless you're Michael Saylor, I mean, any major investors advocating maybe two to 4% of your investable assets, you know, that would be how much you want to allocate to Bitcoin. So it's a different, it's, it plays a different part in uh, your portfolio. And I think there's a lot of attributes uh, to the crypto space that are really comparable to the tech bubble. So there's going to be some major winners, but there's also going to be some major losers. So, you know, it's, it's not a space you really want to, you know, bet the farm on, so to speak. As an individual, mind you, if you have professionals doing it, or if there's a fine guy, you know, that's being created that's that's managed professionally i think it's a, a different story but um, yeah i i don't know i see my friends you know they're on whatsapp they've got the boys chat you know they're all rolling the dice on these tokens and i'm like i can't convince you guys to buy one ounce of gold but you'll go out and spend your day trying to track down <laughs> get the doge it's the, get the doge for yeah, 10 grand and get the juice man you need the <laughs> yeah. juice only only 20 of all are you kidding me give me some yeah, of that yeah, hundred ball story. stuff <laughs> It's play well, money. Just don't bet yeah. the farm on it. 
And any other any other topics that we didn't cover before we uh, sign off? We've been at it for about an hour and twenty minutes, and pr- really appreciate your time. And we're gonna make sure people know where you are. And I gotta make sure I tell people that none of that was investment advice. So, um, but before we go, any any final thoughts? Anything we missed? No, I mean, thanks for having us. Um, you know, obviously, if anyone wants to learn more, swpcayman.com, they can check us out. And we look forward to hosting you guys. We'll do this yeah. next time in the vault, inside the vault. We'll do a live one in the vault. Yeah, love it. Rodrigo can do a Scrooge McDuck dive. Yeah. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna start practicing my grip strength. Bring your hockey pad. I'm gonna be just. I'm gonna. Be, my forearms are gonna be freaking massive. I want to take away that prize. We're here in the vault. <laughs> yeah, thanks, it. Awesome. You and, bring and my where chalk. Can they find you guys on Twitter and whatnot? Grip strength. Twitter is. General Mark, you're active on that. SWP Gold is our Twitter handle. Yeah, and check us out on YouTube as well. There's a lot of great uh, educational videos there. Uh, fantastic series called Inside the Vault. So yeah, a lot of stuff okay, we there talked you about go. today. Yeah. yeah, perfect. So Inside the Vault on YouTube. Um, Mark, you have, you have a but Twitter handle as well. Yeah, Yaxley Yaks. I think at Yaxley Yaks. Yeah, yeah. And our channel is uh, SWP Cayman for SWP Cayman for the YouTube. Yeah. Make sure you go check that out. Learn lots more. And uh, by the way, for everybody who didn't know, this is not investment advice. If you're looking for investment advice, you don't find it on YouTube at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. (laughs) 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 From four guys having a cocktail. So there's that. Uh, So I've covered that off now. And it's been a great year, uh, 2021. I I don't know if you guys know that, but you're our final uh, uh, resolve riffs for the year. And... um, you know, we look forward to 2022, some some enhancements in the format. We're going to do a bit of a reboot on the show and stuff like that. So we'll look forward to all of that into 2022 and happy holidays and uh, good tidings of cheer and joy over these uh, couple of holiday weeks that we have coming on. Raising the glass to you guys. It's been great to meet you uh, over the last few months and look forward to working with you guys in the future. Cheers. Thank you, man. Likewise. Thanks, guys. Cheers. 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 Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Gestalt University podcast. You will find all the information we highlighted in this episode by visiting investresolve.com forward slash podcasts. We also encourage you to engage with us on Twitter by searching the handle at investresolve. If you're enjoying the series, please take the time to share us with your friends through email or social media. And if you really learned something new and believe that this podcast would be helpful to others, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again. And see you next time.